Hey, this is Lizelle. And I'm Krista. And you're listening to Women Who Startup Radio. A show about innovative, adventurous female entrepreneurs. Today we're talking with Sally Krawcheck, the co-founder and CEO of Elevest. She's a former Wall Street executive turned entrepreneur. Who is focused on solving the gender investing gap. Sally is like a total powerhouse. Like you just meet her and you can tell she's incredibly smart knows that she's smart, right? Like there is no doubt that she knows exactly what she wants to say, she knows why she wants to say it, and yet she has a way of communicating that is kind of endearing in its, you know, she's got, she's funny, she's witty, um, and just so direct. So I'm Sally Krawcheck. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Elevest, which is a new digital investment platform for women. Let's talk money. Money, 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 money. Sally talks really fast, and she runs through financial terminology like you would expect of a really sophisticated Wall Street banker to. This is a woman who is a fucking phenomenal example to other women when it comes to corporate career excellence. I also ran Smith Barney. I ran Merrill Lynch Wealth Management. I ran Sanford Bernstein. I was the chief financial officer of Citi. I'm a mother. I have two cats. No, she's really, really cool. She's really cool. Sally grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. Growing up in Charleston, I was a middle child. Very Southern family. My father really sweetly, really politely gave me typing lessons so that I could prepare for my career as an administrative assistant. We called them secretaries in the day. I was bullied out of middle school in my all-girls school. Um, and as a result of those things, I just wanted to go. So I went to the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, which doesn't sound like a big deal. You're from South Carolina, you're going to North Carolina. What does it matter? Besides the fact that I had to buy my first coat and it was my first airplane ride, I felt like I was going. Went to UNC, I loved it. I took one math class my freshman year at UNC where somehow there was a something spinning around a three-dimensional axis. And I thought, never doing that again. And then when it came time to graduate, my father said, you can do whatever you want except move to New York City. It's too dangerous. So I moved to New York City. <laughs> where <laughs> Only having taken one math class at UNC. She's like, I'm going to go to Wall Street. Right after her dad told her, do anything but go to New York City. So I went to Wall Street because it was the hardest thing I could think of to do. Why the hell not? I think Sally has always had the heart of an entrepreneur, and she didn't even know it. It was the hardest thing she could think of to do, and she was trying to keep pushing herself. And that's amazing. I don't know. I just sort of have this view that you get one life, and then you and it lasts so many decades, and then you're dead. You're dead. You're in the ground. You're cold for forever, as far as I know. So what the heck? We might as well see how far we can take it. I don't do boredom well. We, you know, we didn't have Silicon Valley in the time. We didn't have tech startups. It was the interesting, exciting, hard thing to do. And they, they were hiring anybody then. It was 1987. If you had good grades, no matter what the background was, they were hiring anybody. So I showed up on Wall Street, investment banking, 1987. You might be thinking, wasn't that the year of the crash? Yes, it was. So I was there for about a month and a half before the crash. And it was, it was hellacious. Sally experienced firsthand what it was like to be a woman on Wall Street. 
She worked as an investment banker. It was total boys club. Um, I, you know, I remember my second day, I was wearing the height of North and South Carolina fashion, skirt to the ground, to the ground. And uh, hearing a guy come up, walking by me, cigar smoke, and I hear this, what's that effing discount maternity wear? He didn't say effing. I'm like, oh, dear, sir, that's my effing discount maternity wear. He was my boss's 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 boss. That's what it was like. They actively wanted women out, actively wanted women out. And I remember leaned over a desk one day working on some spreadsheet with somebody, and one of the guys came up and um, simulated a sex act on me. That was the work environment. But anyway, so I was in investment banking. I, the more they tried to run me out, the more I refused to leave and hated every minute of it and really wasted my 20s. She tried to work her way up, went to business school, and just found herself at 29 saying, I got to do something else. Facing 30, which seemed like a really old age at the time, doesn't, of course, now. Now it's very, very young. But sitting in my kitchen thinking, I can't believe it. I got out of, you know, I left Charleston, I'm in New York, and my career is over. And it was then that I had that insight that so many young women have at that age, which is I want to be a sell-side equity research analyst. <laughs> then on to my 30s, I was a sell-side research analyst, which means I did research on companies and advised investors so here she is, she's writing, you know, recommendations. She's doing all this research and saying, you know, uh, buy Coca-Cola or don't buy Coca-Cola stock. So I loved being a research analyst for much the same reason I love being an entrepreneur, uh, because I love learning. I just love learning. I, I ran, I hate to admit this, I ran to school as a child. I mean, I loved, I even loved tests, my daughter texted me when she was exams. She said, is it weird that I like taking exams? I'm like, Sh my heart, that's my heart. And so as a research analyst, I could always push myself to learn. So she's out in the world, really in a public role, making recommendations about what you should be buying and selling. You know, you imagine like in the Wall Street Journal, there's me a section that says, what stock should I buy? It's a pretty public job. And people are doing investment banking business and research. I won't go into details, but there were conflicts. They were completely conflicted businesses. They didn't belong in the same companies. I got us out of one a couple of years later. Wall Street is corrupt. These are, they're in these two businesses. They're in conflict. We were the ones who were out. And heck, if I didn't end up on the cover of Fortune magazine as the last honest analyst with my face, bigger than my actual face. I measured it and you know, looked it in the mirror. I'm like, oh, that's actually bigger than my face. A mole that I thought I had removed on my chin actually was still there. There were traces of it I saw on the cover of Fortune magazine. I know. And because of getting on the cover of Fortune, she gets a call from Smith Barney. Which at the time was owned by Citigroup and basically a wealth management division. So Smith Barney phones her and says, come run one of their divisions. They want her to come in and help make all of their rich people a lot richer with all of her insights, right? That's, that's what she's doing. So I went from, you know, 498 people, 398 people reporting me on a Tuesday to 35,000 on a Wednesday. And she eventually becomes CFO of Citi. Chief Financial Officer of Citigroup. We'd like to thank PWI for being a Women's Startup sponsor. Kristen Morgan is the co-founder and CEO of P2B Investor. Don't we all want a naked ex-husband on a horse? 
The Extraordinary Woman is a very fun campaign. Our goal is to make finance accessible and fun. I want people to not feel like finance is some scary thing that they can't understand. They can, and it's not complicated. And The Extraordinary Woman was about having a little bit of fun. We'd like to thank PWI for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Krista's company at pwi.com. What I fret about is that we women tend to have this, many of the same gender biases that men do. And so I'll never forget deciding that I wanted to meet some of the other senior women leaders on Wall Street. We did not know each other. Okay, We did not. Everybody was too busy, families and kids and Wall Street and all kinds of hours and travel. And so we just didn't. At one point, I thought, I really want to meet XYZ woman over at Morgan Stanley. And so I called up her office and was going over in a taxi to see her. And I was envisioning what she would look like in the taxi on the way over. And the vision I had was about a six foot three woman, big, 200 pounds, with sort of these steel, you know, these little wire frame glass and a steel bun on her head and maybe a big wart on her nose. I'm not, I don't remember, like, and, and sort of this orthopedic shoes. That's what I'm thinking. And I'd heard she was a total bitch. Well, I walk in and she was delightful. She was funny. She was engaging. She was just wonderful. Now, maybe she was holding all of her bitchiness in during that meeting. But when it was time to leave, I said to her, you know, I'm going to admit something to you. On the way over here, I was imagining you and I was thinking you'd be a total bitch and you'd be tall and you'd do it. And she, you know, and she laughed. She said, I thought the same thing about you. I have been the only or one of a few women at every step in my career. And so myself among them, any number of high-profile women were fired on Wall Street during the crisis. I was fired because I was the only one person who worked and did return client funds in the downturn. She's held senior posts, hired for and then been fired from senior posts in banking and... When she gets fired, it gets covered by the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, it's sort of weird when you see your, when you, when it comes across TV that you're about to be fired. It's a weird moment. I think I'm going to be fired. I don't know why. It's coming. I'm watching it on TV right now here in my office. This is crazy. The day after she so publicly gets fired, she then goes to the board and says, tell me how I could have done better. I woke up and I got up in the morning and I thought, I'm going to go drink alcohol. Well, so I did, but still. But later, I got up in the morning and I kept going. The first day I drank, the second day I called the members of the board and said, what could I have done better? It's hard, it's hard to hear criticism about yourself and absorb it and learn from it and keep going. The last thing you want to hear after you've been fired is constructive feedback. And I thought, you know what? I'm gonna suck this experience dry that there is something for me to learn here and this is this hurts and I am I am in physical pain right now. It's, it's amazing how emotional pain. I'm in physical pain and I'm going to run right into that friggin buzzsaw and learn something. The secret to her success is self-awareness. I try to get to know myself. So I wake up in the morning and start writing whatever is in my head. And at night, I try to write, too, after I have a glass of wine. Why first thing in the morning and why at night? Because my defenses go down. 
And so that's when I come up with all my creative ideas and that's when I can critique myself in a way I can't at two o'clock in the afternoon. If you don't know yourself, you can't make good decisions out there in the world. Because if you're constantly second guessing your own decisions, you cannot possibly lead. She's been leading a long time. The crazy part is that at that point, we actually had a more diverse leadership team at Citigroup, this is 10 and 12 years ago, than they do today. That today it is more white guys than it was then. Companies and industries that go through crises, as Wall Street did, come out less diverse. There's less diversity now than there was you know, 10 years ago before the crisis because people are in crisis, some people have to go, some people have to stay, and the people you're keeping are the people that you trust, that you feel that camaraderie with. Like, we came up through the ranks together, we were on the same trading desk. Especially when the shit hits the fan, we tend to revert back to building teams with people that look like us, act like us, make decisions like us. And so it's the, it's the women, it's the people who didn't come from that world that go. It's not, let's get rid of the gals. It's more, I'd love, you know, we have to get rid of some people and I can trust him. He's the one, he's the one I can trust him. Why can I trust him? Because he looks, acts, talks, thinks exactly like me and that makes me feel secure. You know, this false comfort of agreement that we feel better when everyone's agreeing with us and you know we don't have to we don't have to work too hard to work our way through conflict the way i think about it is it is just so much easier to work with people who are like you so much easier i mean you can finish each other's sentences and so because these individuals have had the same experience they think the same way. They went to the same schools, they were in the same training programs, and therefore as they have the conversation, they well, he's really smart, and they are super smart. But when they agree, they haven't fully explored all of the alternatives, but they don't know it. Which is dangerous because there's no opportunity there for diverse points of views to explore you know, highly positive new strategies. Just like, they're allergic to conflict, but conflict is friction, is where we create fire. What makes a great team is, is really psychological security. That I can speak and be heard. I feel like my opinions aren't all taken, but they're honored in some way. What does not lead to great teams is lack of conflict. So within that psychological comfort has to be our ability to go back and forth and both feel like we're being heard. And a lot of people mistake that lack of conflict for a great team. Those of us that care about diversity know that conflict is good, conflict is healthy, and conflict makes better companies. Every company I know, when we've got a position open, we need to find the best person for the job. That's what we need, the best person for the job. What they really need to ask is, we need to put in the person who will make this the best team. And that can be a different person. So, you know, take an extreme example. You have a 10-person team, and it's 10 math PhDs, Ivy League educated, white males. You put in one more math male PhD, Ivy League, da, 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 you've added nothing. And so that you may look at that, and particularly given our gender biases, you might look at that 
person and say that's the best person, but that's not the best person for the team. The best person for the team may be somebody who has a <gasps> gasp lower IQ. What? You might hire the not super smartest person you ever met with the best SATs? How can that be? Right. Because IQ doesn't always translate into best member of team. We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. My name is Brad Todd. I'm the founder and designer of Habitat. Spend some time, talk to a couple designers, sit down and have coffee with these guys or gals and talk about what you're doing, your idea, your project, whatever, and just spitball. They'll start giving you ideas for design. They'll start guiding you in the right direction. That way you're going to get a feel for this person who's going to be very, very intimately working with you for several months to develop your brand and beyond that, being a design partner for months and years. We'd like to thank Habitat for being a Women Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more about Habitat at hellohabitat.com. There's no doubt there's a financial savings crisis driven by the fact that we in this country have not saved enough for retirement. And this will be our responsibility and our burden as women because we live longer than men do. That's it. As Sally is applying her mascara one day, it hits her like a 10-ton truck. And she realizes that the financial security of women is in a crisis. The retirement crisis is a women's issue. And I'm putting on my mascara, I'm in my bathroom, and I'm on like the third coat. You know how you gotta, you need to do multiple coats. And all of a sudden, it hits me that the, believe it or not, the retirement savings crisis is a woman's crisis. That's because we live five, six years, seven, eight years longer than men do, and we retire with two-thirds of their money. Look at any nursing home in this country, it's 80 to 85% women. I said, wait a minute, all the solutions to the retirement savings crisis change. It's not about tax increases and entitlement cuts. Hey, it's about closing the gender pay gap. The gender pay gap let's say you go into the world and you want to get your first job and you're offered $30,000 a year and the man negotiates it to $33,000 a year and the woman doesn't negotiate. Well, right now it's only a $3,000 gap, but the next pay rise, all of a sudden you're negotiating to thirty-three, dollars and the man is negotiating to $40,000 and that over 40 years, it becomes a really fucking big gap. Huh. I say to myself, and then I start to go to my second eye. Start in with the first coat of mascara. I said, oh my gosh, there's a gender investing gap. It's about closing that too. And the thing about the gender investing gap is that it's the same principle. If you don't start saving today and someone else is starting, right, all of a sudden over, 50, over a 50-year 50 period, the gap is massive. That gap compounds itself every time you don't negotiate for a higher salary, every time you don't take an opportunity to invest your money on a monthly or quarterly basis. So that, that gap compounds, compounds, becomes larger and larger and larger over the course of a woman's career. And then I began to dig, how big is this gender investing gap? Do women invest to as great a degree as men? And began to recognize that women don't invest as much as men do, and it cost women certainly tens of thousands, most cases hundreds of thousands, in some cases millions of dollars over the course of their careers. This is not small potatoes. This is a big friggin' deal. And I want to 
know what's getting in the way. And and do are their husbands just investing for them? No. Here's what we think. It's a guy thing. And I'm busy. And you know what else we think? It's going to take me so much time. Who's got the time? She was even in the industry doing that for a living, and she did not have the time required to manage her own financial portfolio. You know, I used to try to buy individual stocks. I mean, I was a research analyst. That meant I was giving recommendations on individual stocks. And, and actually what I found was that I was pretty darn good at buying them, and I was terrible at selling them. And you know why? Because I had a full-time job. And I had kids. And I have a family. And I have two cats. I mentioned the two cats, right, earlier. And I was all into my life. And the work that it takes to figure out this whole buy, sell, and am I supposed to watch Kramer on TV and all that stuff, even though it was what I did, I didn't want to do it as a hobby, and I wasn't any good at it. So I learned that lesson. The second lesson I learned in the downturn, which is such an obvious one, is don't buy things that everybody says are sustainable returns. I'm like, oh, that sounds good. Went to zero. So I've made all the mistakes everybody's made. I've made all the mistakes everybody's made. Shoot me now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to do something about Rand Smith Barney. I ran Merrill. This is mine. I got this. I'm going to go tell someone else to do it. So I went out. I said, I'm not an entrepreneur. So I went out and met with some of the big bank CEOs who are buddies of mine and sat down with them, talked about gender investing gap. And women, but you know, I did my research. Women control $5 trillion in the United States. 90% of women manage their money on their own at some point in their lives. This is a big deal. It's the biggest opportunity out there. I'll help you for free. You should go after this. She goes to these male CEOs and they're like stroking their chin being like, but don't their husbands invest their money for them? Oh, Sally. Hand to his chin, thoughtfully stroking. Looks off into the middle distance. That is so interesting. But don't their husbands manage their money for them? Sally is solving the gender investing gap. I said, all right, if somebody's going to do this, it's got to be me. And so I and I took a few first passes at it. Can I just provide a marketing arm? You know, I'll take existing offerings. I'll provide a marketing arm. And then I finally came to the point of view. You know what? For years, people on Wall Street and in the investing industry have tried to solve the women problem by marketing to them better? No. You know, if it was just, hey, ladies work harder, then we, then we wouldn't have a gender investing gap. So what are we going to do to actually build a capability that will change for women as opposed to try to make women change? So it was gr ground up. And then I said, all right, I'm gonna, first I'm going to go raise some money. And then I said, first I have to have a chief investment officer who has, as I like to say, a brain as big as the room. Um, lots of experience. It took me a year to find her. But then what if I got a lead designer who, oh, you know, led the redesign of Vogue.com? What if I found a product manager who was at Weight Watchers and got this really diverse group of individuals together in order to rethink this issue and then spend hundreds of hours with women to see what's getting in the way of their investing? Sally has been a part of 85 Broads. She is behind the Elevate Network. And it's a natural evolution for her to be the co-founder and CEO of Elevest, which says 100%, I am zoning in on closing the investment gap for women. 
So this is important. I mean, this is not doing this right, as I mentioned, can cost you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars over the course of your life. We have got to make this change such that we are engaging with investing in a way that makes sense for us women. If I don't do this, I cannot live with myself because it matters so damn much. Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. I'm Lindsay Strickler. And I'm Rex Roberts. And we are co-owners of Steno. We have geologists and climbing companies and consultants and real estate agents and people from all across the board that sought us out seeking a community of people that are really excellent at what they do, but they don't necessarily have to be that way all the time. They can turn off at five o'clock and go and have a beer and talk about the Rockies or the Broncos or the weather. Thanks to Steno for being a Woman Who Startup Radio sponsor. You can learn more at stenodenver.com. 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 I started out with a bunch of stupid ideas. I thought they were brilliant. I mean, I really did. I thought, look at me with all my experience in the industry, and I'm a woman, so I've totally got, I've got this. I've got this. And then I came out with this really dumb idea such that, and here's here goes my gender bias, that women need to explore their emotions around money. That's really the issue. We've got all those feminine emotions. Well, not only did I believe this, I actually spent money to build it. And the women gave me the proverbial bird. It was, you know what? I know I've got a lot of emotions around money, but I am not interested in exploring them. I'm interested in starting my business in eight years. Do you mind, right? So we had to throw it away. And when we put some stuff on Facebook, right? We're sort of testing what plays well, what doesn't play well. Investing for women. We get a lot of, this is great, this is fantastic, but we get some negatives too. And the negatives are, how dare you patronize me? Don't you dare talk down to me? This is outrageous. I don't want my special investing. I want the other kind of investing. Not one person has responded yet with, for women, it must be smarter. What if this, the, the platform for women was a smarter platform? Damn straight, it's smarter. Newsflash, Elevest is smarter. Elevest is a couple of generations on. It's very powerful technology, very powerful investing algorithms and financial planning algorithms, very powerful. And so it's interesting to me that we still have this bias that for women is somehow the lesser. We're hoping to really destroy that bias. Elevest is a financial technology company that's building a platform to make it easier for women to invest. Sally, as a woman, is building a whole new framework, a whole new language, and a whole new approach to address women and how they plan financially for their future and for their financial security. So much of the investing for women or financial education for women comes down to this, you know, I'm going to financially educate you. It's going to be remedial financial education. Okay, okay, um, but what if instead we built a company that was a fiduciary? So we are obligated to act in our client's best interest, that had decades of experience, that had powerful technology, and that spoke to us as women in ways that we understand. What do I mean by that? The hundreds of hours of research we did, not a single woman came in, and when we said, what do you want to achieve with your money? One, one woman said, I want to outperform the market. One. 
And we said, why? And she said, because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? What women came in and told us is, oh, okay, I want to buy a house. I want to start a business. I want to have a baby. I want to retire well. I want to take a trip around the world. And my money is a means to that end. So we take out all the, hey, do you want a large cap value mutual fund or a small cap growth ETF, right? Do you want to buy Coca-Cola stock or short Pepsi? You know, we take our experience, say we're operating in your best interest. We have this experience and we are going to get you to your goals. They're focused on women who are managing their own money and have paid down their credit card debt. I tell people, do not invest with us if you haven't paid down your credit card debt. Go away right now. The answer is pay down your credit card debt immediately because it's costing you a frigging fortune. And then start small. Start with an amount that you are comfortable with, but just start. What Sally says is in the end, you don't have to understand investing. What you have to understand is that it's really important to be regularly putting money aside and earning interest on that money. That is what is important. What I can tell you is the right way to invest is regularly. And we tend to all have a mental model of, I'm about to invest this amount of money. And that's cool. But the right way to do it is right out of the paycheck. And if you're not used to doing it, do 1% this week. Make it 2% next week. Work your way up to 10, 15% so that you're really socking away money for your goals. At the end of the day, if all you're doing is like your pretty basic return, over 30, 35 years, you're going to do fine. You, you know, whether you don't have to worry about beating the market or, you know, doing or, anything fancy, mm. just regular. Financial management is all about moving pieces. I want more of this. I got to, I got to give more of that. Oh, I want to achieve this objective. I'm going to have to put an X. It's mathematics. People come through all the time and they want to do everything in their life and they can't afford it. They can't afford it. And so we actually have to deliver some pretty tough news online. We all have to make choices in our lives. And part of having a financial plan is about asking yourself, what do I really need? Do I really need to be driving an Audi? Can I be driving a Toyota? And if I drive a Toyota, does that mean I can buy the house in the, in the school district that I want for the five children I want to have. God help me, I hope I don't have five children. <laughs> Jesus. Part of the issue that all financial planners struggle with when, you, when it comes to talking retirement is retirement feels like a really long time from now. And so you don't even have to think about savings only in terms of retirement. This is about when you're 25, being able to buy the house you want when you're 30 or 35, being able to afford to send your kids to whatever school you want to send them to, you know, when you're 40 and 45. Like, this isn't all long-term. This is just being sensible. So Sally's on a mission to inform people about the gender investing gap and talk about Elevest and the importance of financial planning for women. This is a positive way to close the retirement savings gap by helping women invest. Sally takes this really personally, like this better be the last thing she achieves in her phenomenal career. Being an entrepreneur is harder than running Merrill Lynch. Mm -hmm. I know that. I'm the only one who can say that. <laughs> and it is because of that personal responsibility and the fact that you're always on. That's what I love. Thanks so much for listening to Women Who Startup Radio. We'd like to thank our team, 
Our sponsors, P2B Investor and Steno Coworking Space, our producer, Aaron Bassidy, and our engineer and co-producer, Allison Wrights. At Women Who Startup Radio, we're writing women back into history by telling the stories of innovative, adventurous female entrepreneurs. It's time to put on those boots and keep climbing. I love keep climbing. I love it. It's my life. You wake up in the morning and go. Wake up in the morning and go. Go to sleep exhausted. One of the businesses that I'm involved in, the Professional Women's Network, Elevate Network, I, I love the name. And what I wanted to capture with that was a sense of the feminine, but a sense of the keep climbing, move on, move up. And then LFS came from that. And so what I wanted to express with both of these brands is a sense of forward motion, forward momentum, and the feminine. And so I love it. I really love it. You can subscribe to Women Who Start Up Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. We love to hear your feedback and your stories. Rate us on iTunes and let us know what you think on Twitter at, at WW Startup Radio.